The Buffalo Beat is brought to you by Game Time, your new go-to app for the best deals on last-minute tickets. Did you know Bill's ticket prices tend to drop right before the game starts? Game Time tracks prices in real time from thousands of trusted sellers, then shows you all the best last-minute deals with prices up to 60% off. More than 12 million fans have downloaded the Game Time app and discovered the fastest, easiest way to get into the game. The app is super simple, quick, and easy to navigate. There are tickets across all major leagues and teams. It's an easy two-tap checkout. And if you're not looking for sports tickets, you can even find your uh, your theater tickets or some uh, concerts as well. So head to the App Store or Play Store now to download Game Time and score awesome deals on last-minute tickets. Well, the Buffalo Bills were expected to walk into New Era Field on Sunday and defeat Washington rather soundly. Uh, while it wasn't pretty in spots and they let Washington hang around for a bit too long, ultimately the Bills got the job done, getting to 6-2 and two on the season. The first time they have been 6-2 and two since 1993 and as impressive as that sounds it's also somewhat disappointing that they haven't been six and two especially for fans um that they haven't been six and two since then but there they are six and two and uh and looking like as long as they take care of their business in the second half of the season things should go pretty well welcome in everyone to the buffalo beat my name is joe biscalia along with me is my co-host, Matthew Fairburn. Thanks for listening to us, however you are, whether it's on the Athletic Podcast Player or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, what have you, whatever uh, whatever way you got to us. Thank you for doing so. And, and if you haven't yet, please rate and subscribe on uh, whichever service you are here with us on. But uh, Matthew, Washington... Hung around, I think, for a bit too long for fans' liking. And it definitely provided questions in a game that I think a lot of people, given Washington's record, were like, well, there shouldn't be any questions after this game. Yeah, one and eight football team with a rookie quarterback making his first start and all the Trent Williams drama that we talked about right. um you know hanging over the locker room missing you know Darius Geis they did have Adrian Peterson uh, but really a team that if you were waiting for that convincing blowout win this seemed like a week where it might happen and i think you know now that we're 8 games into the season you know, early on, we're always talking about, you know, what did we learn about this team? And it's the early season games are exciting in that way because we don't know about a lot of the teams in the league. There's a lot to find out. Eight games in, I feel like we know about this Bills team at this point, right? I mean, mm-hmm. they're not great at defending the run. That showed up again today. Uh, Adrian Peterson went over 100 yards in the first half. They bottled him up in the second half, mostly by stuffing eight men in the box and uh, knowing that the rookie quarterback wasn't going to beat them too badly. Uh, but the run defense remains a problem, and it has been for a little while now. Offensively, they can't really pass the football with a great deal of you know, efficiency. Uh, they're down near the bottom of the league in almost every passing stat you can find. I don't care which one you don't like or which one you do like because they're down near the bottom in almost every single one. And today, Josh Allen threw for 160 yards, threw a touchdown, ran a touchdown, didn't throw any interceptions, fumbled again. But all in all, it was a game where they kind of took the ball out of his hands Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. And that's the first time we've probably seen that um, in this big of a way. And that might be the one thing we learn more than anything is that they're starting to see who they are and how they win. And that's controlling the football and trying to play good defense. And and trying to control Josh Allen all the same. Right. And and that's where they're probably starting to see, you know, a bit of who they are. 
you know, his development has been a big part and a big storyline uh, this season. But right now at six and two, you need to worry about winning games. Mm-hmm. And if you totally unleash this guy, who knows what would happen in a game like this? You get a bad turnover. Washington was within a score until what two twenty one left in the game. I think is when Devin Singletary got that touchdown yep. to put them up fifteen. I mean, and Washington has not, you know, played particularly well this season in most of their games. So, um, you know, they have what's their point differential for the season? Negative one eleven. Is it really? They, they've games. been playing tough the last so few weeks, it, it, but yeah, not not great though. Yeah, that's. Second worst in the league, it looks like. They only know lo- third worst. The Jets they only lost worse. last week to Minnesota, nineteen to nine. So, so they've been hanging in yeah, there. They, they hung have. in tight with the the 49ers. So, but still a, a spot where maybe you were looking for that that blowout win. I just don't think it's coming. Um, Jordan Poyer said after the game, which I thought was, you know, he said at the end of the day, this is the NFL. I'm not expecting any game to be a blowout. Particularly with this team, I would agree with him. Mm-hmm. I don't think too many games are going to be blowouts not in their favor. Uh, if you can't blow out the Dolphins and you can't blow out this team, then I'm not sure one of those is coming unless you know Baker Mayfield and the Browns make a ton of mistakes or they victimize one of these bad quarterbacks that they're playing in the next you know month. Uh, they got Fitzpatrick again. They've got Brandon Allen slash Drew Locke, whoever plays right. against the Broncos. So a lot of bad quarterbacks coming up. But I guess my main point is that I don't think we a game like this doesn't teach us a great deal about the Bills because it's one of many that we've seen like this an yeah. ugly win. But like we've been saying, going back to probably what week three or four, they're going to make the playoffs stacking wins like this together. They, ha- they, they can should. win 10 games right. as long as they don't blow any of these games. And that's probably a positive is that they're at least beating the teams they're supposed to beat. And, and by the way, those games. one of those games that we're talking about that that shouldn't blow this game is not the Browns game. Like, right. there, there is Although pit- you could throw that one in there yeah, if you I mean, wanted to. Since <laughs> they're losing to, uh, to Denver as we speak right now, uh, Denver has the ball. Up twenty four nineteen on Cleveland with two forty five to go, but I think I want to unpack unpack a lot because you, you covered a lot, and because there are so many different questions from this game, so I want to table. I want to pocket the Josh Allen conversation because I feel like that is a great convo that we should get into. But first, the idea of the defense and and what they are because this is this is their staple and who they are who they want to be and what quite frankly what they need to be right now is a team with a great defense that probably has to win the majority of the games for their team and the run defense did not do well in spots um, again in this game and it was the same sort of play that got them last week, which was the inside zone. And this was even after the Bills made tons of switches along the defensive line. I'm not even talking just cutting Kyle Pecco and bringing up Vincent Taylor. They made so many decisions. Daryl Johnson didn't play a snap today. Did you notice that? He wasn't out there once. They went with a three-man defensive end rotation to try and to try and fix this. Then Jordan Phillips got the start ahead of Ed Oliver today. Jordan Phillips, by my count, wound up with let me get there. Jordan Phillips wound up with almost 65% of the defensive snaps. Start Latulale had 57% of the defensive snaps. Ed Oliver, 35%. Ed Oliver was the first one in the locker room and the first one out. He was, I don't blame him. He was not pleased. He, uh, he, he, I mean, that, that was a clear message. And I wonder if this is one of McDermott's patented wake-up calls to his young player that just like, hey, this isn't yours. Wake up. Like he did it with Milano. He did it with uh, Robert Foster. I mean, there, there are so many examples of this. It helps that Jordan Phillips is good. Yeah, but the thing is, I didn't even think he was that good last week. Right. Like, he he was, I'll be kind, he was not great against the run, and 
on a lot of those plays that went for big yardage, he he wasn't doing his job as the three tech. And which is why it's like, okay, well, he has the production with sacks and that, and he's got flash plays, but he was pretty crap the rest I of the mean, game. I mean, he didn't. They didn't replace him with a slappy. No, like, they no, didn't that's replace right. him. With he's been Ramon good the majority Humber, of the season. Put but it that way. I was just kind of surprised that it came after this past week because I'm like, wait, what? <laughs> Why not like three weeks ago or something? Like that? And it's not even though Ed Oliver was bad. It, yeah, that's the confusing part just, to me is I don't know that I thought Ed he Oliver needed was, a wake up call. Right. I wonder if it's just kind of a maybe a complacency thing, maybe to keep him sharp because they need him for the second half of the season because he's a young guy and hasn't done a 16 game season before. There's got to be some motivation here because when I distinctly asked McDermott about it after after um, the game today, and he said, "Well, it's because he earned it, and that's how we do things around here. When things are earned, and when you earn it, you get the playing time." And that's a message to Ed Oliver. Oh, like, completely. You he know, know he knows Ed Oliver's going to see that or read that or hear that. He knows it's going, or someone close to Ed Oliver's going to send it to him. He knows. He but, knows. But the thing is. Ed Oliver is different than a lot of guys they brought in personality-wise. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if that's the best way to get through to him. And I guess we'll find out. And, you know, every player takes the coaching differently. But I, I just don't know if that's like the that's him. Uh, I could be wrong. They probably know him better than I do. But um, he's just different than a mm-hmm. lot of guys they brought in. And it's funny because... They talked about, you know, getting the run defense fixed and all that. They saw the adjustments they needed to make and made them. And, you know, we haven't gone back to rewatch the game to figure out exactly what went wrong. And Adrian Peterson's a good back. But I can't really get over the fact that the fix seemed to be, and maybe it'll be deeper than this when we rewatch the game. But Jordan Poyer basically just said they put eight guys in the box. <laughs> on right. almost every play, eight or more. Against a rookie quarterback. Why weren't they doing that to start? Fair. You know, I mean, why weren't they... They knew they were up against a rookie quarterback. They knew they had just gotten gashed on the ground and that Washington would probably want to take the football out of their rookie quarterback's hands. And Adrian Peterson was on the other side. Mm-hmm. I mean, why is he running wild the way that he was? Uh, he's still really good, but mm-hmm. he's not you know, Adrian Peterson of six or eight years ago. So I I just, that's still, you know, sure, great that they got it fixed, but still a problem that they went over 100 in the first half. And a better team would have finished some of those drives. Yeah, they they fixed it in a grand way. I mean, in the first half, I think it was – 12 running back carries for a hundred and oh, what was it? I think 105 yards. And in the second half, there were eight running back carries for seven yards. Yeah, it was, it was put stark. The clamps on them. Yeah. And, and, but a lot of that is what you said. They, they put eight guys in the box. And, and when you have a rookie quarterback who holds on to the ball far too long, even on plays where, they are stacking the box. It's it's not going to end up well for him. And Haskins didn't throw up all over himself like I thought he might do today. I mean, that that was for starts on a bad team. I wouldn't say encouraging, but it's not discouraging for no, what I Haskins thought that did today. He was I mean, he completed more he basically had a similar stat line to Josh Allen without the touchdowns. Um, which obviously touchdowns are uh, the difference maker in this mm-hmm. game. Um, that's why the Bills won. Um, they won by two two touchdowns, 15 points. But he was 15 for 22 for 144 yards. Josh Allen was 14 for 20, 160 yards. So, you know, he was, I think, to your point, he just didn't throw up on himself. He didn't have <laughs> the major mistake that you almost expected him to have. Thankfully, I've never really, thrown up on myself, by the way. I don't, I'm, I'm sure you have as a young infant. <laughs> Okay, well, <laughs> does that count? I think we've all thrown you, up. Well, that's kind of the point, right? He's an infant <laughs> NFL quarterback puking on himself. But he didn't do that. He kept all his food down. And he didn't make a lot of big plays. He wasn't, you know, flashy or anything. But I thought he right. was more comfortable than I expected him to be. I agree. And Still held on onto the ball way too long. Yeah, and that's going to be a, a problem that persists with him. And 
Um, you know, they tried to get him in shotgun. He seems a little bit more comfortable there, but he does need to work on getting the ball out quicker. But it seemed like the formula was a pretty easy one to figure out. Like mm-hmm. they were going to feed Adrian Peterson. If you, they had Trey White, Shadow, Terry McLaurin for a decent amount of the game. So you take him out and you stack the box against Adrian Peterson. I mean, it's, it should have been pretty simple, but it was, they made it look a little bit more complicated. I wonder if maybe they weren't taking the easy way out early on because they knew they wouldn't be able to do that in future games and they wanted to, they wanted to get the that one would be off of It, it would, but. It's also something they're they're going to have to figure out by the time they get to opponents that have quarterbacks that aren't rookies that are making their first start. But if we are to be believed, if we are to believe what they say when, you know, it's hard to win in the NFL and every game is a one game season and all that to kind of sit there and toy with an opponent or try something that you don't think will work because um, would be a hell of a ballsy strategy, you know. Obviously, if they lost this game, it wouldn't have been um, devastating to their playoff chances, but it would have been devastating to their public image, uh, for sure, losing to a 1-7 team. But I, I, I think there's probably something to them thinking they could fix it that way. Right. Them thinking, no, the, the type of team we are is we make these small adjustments, we'll get back to where we were. But the problem is exactly. where they were before that Dolphins game, the team that was kind of leaky. Yeah, it wasn't perfect. And so I, I think we'll see that they're they're as soft as their schedule is coming up. You know, some of the running teams that they play against, I mean, Baltimore will be a hell of a test. Mm-hmm. Dallas will be a hell of a test. Next week against Cleveland, uh, Nick Chubb has been running really well and Kareem Hunt comes back. Which, by the week. way, Cleveland wound up losing and are now two and six on the season. Yeah, pretty much done, which last year was when they started playing their best football was when they were done. Um, so maybe without all the expectations, they'll play it a little bit more fast and loose. Right. But, I mean, they're about to go up against some teams that, that can run the football a little bit, as bad as some of these teams are. So, I don't know. We'll see if, if they can get that figured out. You're not going to be able to stack the box against Lamar Jackson and Dak Prescott. I don't think that will work. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't think it'll work against Tom Brady later Mm -hmm. in the year. So something that they have to have a better fix for than just load up the box to stop it. All right, let's flip to the other side of the ball before we get to, well, the other topics other than Josh Allen. Um, Finally, they freed Devin Singletary, which was a nice thing to see because we've been talking about it. And since he came back from his hamstring injury, the first game is always kind of tough, but Last week specifically, his usage in the first half was just kind of maddening because here you have this dynamic, borderline explosive playmaker in the way that he's able to set defenders up and make them miss and just not utilizing him. It, it, was, it was kind of weird. But they did so today against Washington. And, you know, they got the ball to him. On a screen that went for 49 yards. Great. Saw it on film last week against Minnesota. Minnesota tore up Washington in the screen game. They Buffalo popped a big one. Perfect. Get him outside running, uh, trying to attack the edges. Absolutely. That's the weakness of, of the Washington defense. Um, and so he wound up with between 20 carries and four targets in the passing game. Of his 41 snaps... 24 of them were designed for him, which is a 59% usage, which is insanely high for how many snaps he's getting on the field. But I don't know that I'm ready to declare that he is he is the guy here in Buffalo because he is part of an offense that is run by Brian Dable, who through everything, no matter which week there is, He has a definitive game plan for how he wants to attack the opponent, which is smart, by the way. I still think it's it's a good strategy to attack the weaknesses rather than, to use your word, be cocksure and just try to hammer away with, with who you think you need to get the ball to. It's more of like an Arya Stark style faceless, uh, uh, brand of offense 
where you just utilize a different face every single every single week. And I, I just wonder if maybe because this week Washington struggles with containing the edge and they're particularly strong up the middle, I wonder if this is maybe just a bit of a, a fluke high usage for this point of uh, Singletary's career. However, it's it would be a complete error of the Bills to continue along the same path as they did ahead of this game where Singletary doesn't get his usage up until they absolutely need him to in the second half. He should be involved. And just the same way that they kept Frank Gore involved today. I mean, outside of the and one debacles uh, where he was, Frank Gore was one of six in and one opportunities today. Um, I mean, that's where Washington is their strongest on the defensive side of the ball. They've got really good defensive linemen in Deron Payne, Jonathan Allen, and Matt Ioannidis. And then they've got a super good linebacker in John Bostic. So the Bills knew that they were going up against this, but they still kept Frank Gore involved. Why can't you keep Devin Singletary going in that in that same vein? He's too good at this point in his career not to. So great that they did this. I'm not convinced that they're going to continue doing this, but they should continue keeping him going. I feel like he should be the the focal point of the offense. He should. Well, and you're probably right that he won't be. Yeah. But I've seen way too many New England games, man. You're right. <laughs> but also, what New England will occasionally do is ride the hot hand, and it's usually matchup based. Um, but I would think there will be more times the rest of the season where the matchup calls for Singletary instead of Gore. Uh, this won't be the first team they play that, uh, or the only team they play the rest of the way that has um, a strong, you know, a strong team at the point of attack the way Washington does. But beyond that, I mean, look at the way Sony Michelle finished the season last year. No, that's right. And now he's kind of, you know, it's unpredictable. Off in no man's land in New England, just like all their running backs. Anybody who plays fantasy football going back to, what, the year 2000 has probably been burned Mm -hmm. by the New England backfield at some point. I stay away altogether. And it's not to say I I always get sucked in. Like, I think (laughs) I have one of those guys every single year. Just talk yourself into, like, Rex Burkhead. Going back to, like, Corey Dillon, which, who was actually really good. Uh, Maybe the best fantasy back they've had. trying to think of some of the other ones they've had. But they've – it can be quite – frustrating to to uh, buy into that backfield i don't know if this is going to be quite the same just because i don't know like is gore that good like in the second no he's not is he gonna hold up like in the second half of the season this is another this is another point i wanted to bring up i think if the bills can find a way they should they should dress tj yeldon because they they need some they need something else they need some sort of compilation of of talents and especially if Gore is not going to be if you can't depend on him for all of the carries that Devin Singletary doesn't have you need another guy so just figure it out with the active roster on game day that I even if he doesn't participate have him on special teams give him a few carries a game whatever just I feel like there should be another with the way that they're using the running backs I feel like there should be another fresh pair of legs out there well not to mention it's when you're a team that can lean on the running game the way that they do, that's their strength on Mm -hmm. offense. As much as we've dogged the offense at times, they can run the football. Uh, Their offensive line has been terrific blocking the run this year. That's why Frank, a guy like Frank Gore, who is a North South type of guy, especially at this point in his career has been able to have the success that he has. And I don't mean to say that Frank Gore is simply falling forward you know he's yeah he's playing well he still had um, some good runs in that in that you know type of uh offense but the the line is doing a really good job and so but my point is when you have that type of offense and you're what Devin Singletary could twist his ankle on the first play of the game mm-hmm. and then what happens to your game plan you've then? got Frank Gore and Norris Perry the rest of the way and Pat DeMarco if you want to sprinkle some of that in not where you want to be. So, um, and yeah, certainly Sonoris Perry isn't, you know, a guy that really is much of a factor at all on offense. So I understand the special teams component with him and it's a tricky numbers game and whatever else, but the depth at running back could 
become a concern because let's face it, uh, Devin Singletary has already had an injury, uh, and Frank Gore is 36 years old. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, so that's an interesting thing to follow, especially because I think we figured out that they can't really lean on the passing attack to win football games Mm-mm. at all. Which was interesting this week because it's not as though Washington couldn't be beat through the air. I mean, Minnesota got some pretty large games last week, and they tested them occasionally. Josh Norman got lucky on what should have been a touchdown to Devin Singletary. Um, he, he was just, his body was in the right place while chasing yes. Devin Singletary. That should have been a TD. But... Um, it didn't didn't work in their favor. It, even still, it brings us to the point, and I think I think this is a good segue. I wanted to write about this too this evening, and I'm and I plan to. What exactly is Josh Allen like? Is is he formed? Is he still forming? Is he now just a game manager? That occasionally forces pushes the ball down the field because that's basically what we've seen over the last four games Tennessee Miami Philadelphia and now Washington we haven't really seen him push it and there have been some instances where he hits intermediate routes and he'll zing some in there he'll keep showing you those those flashes but the way that you put it is perfect. They're taking the ball out of his hand. And maybe some of that had to do today with the fact that they were leading right from the get-go. And they didn't want him to pull a uh, infant throw up on himself. Which he's still very much capable of. Yes. At one time or another. I mean, I'm sure five-year-olds throw up on themselves from time to time. From what I understand, it can yeah. happen. So... I, it's it's kind of it's kind of weird to get a gauge about what he actually is right now and what the expectations of him should be because if they're now fully formed in this idea that all right going for the playoffs what's our formula for getting to the playoffs getting the risk out of Josh Allen's game A and B letting the defense control the game to where if the Bills wind up with 23 points, it should be good enough for a win. That's That's been the formula all year. It's worked six out of eight times. But what is that? Is that doing anything to what Josh Allen could be in the future? And I don't want to like go too over the top on this, but I think it's an interesting enough topic, specifically because we're now halfway through his second season. And I don't know. I feel like there have been... Many signs of positive development, but he hasn't taken the I'm going to take over a game step just yet. And he even did that at the end of last year, too, where I don't even know if it they ended up they wound up winning those games like the Miami game. I'm thinking of where well, the home game Charles, won, right? I'm thinking yeah, about the, the, Charles the, the Charles Clay drop in the end zone like he took over that game. When has Josh Allen taken over a game this year? I mean, he's played good fourth quarters yeah, occasionally true. to pull okay. games out. But Last four games. How about but that? not really. I still wouldn't consider those him taking over the game. You know what I mean? Even when he's played well in the Yeah, he quarter. got super hot at, at some like, point. So I want to I want to dial back what I said a little bit. But, but even still, like the last four games when they've gotten into this other mode of the, all right, let's get those hair-ripping moments out of your game. What is he? Right. And it's a fair question. And I think probably the big question that I have is what is this guy's ceiling? Right. Because that's what they should constantly be asking themselves. Mm -hmm. Of course, the floor, I I think we can all agree that the floor is a lot higher than we thought it would be. Absolutely. Uh, I think that's probably, you know, something that universally people thought he had a really low floor. And, and you know what? I don't know that he does. He deserves a lot of credit for that because he has put in a lot of work to raise that floor to the point where he's hitting these short area throws that he was struggling with when they first got his hands on him. He's done a lot of work with his lower body mechanics and and becoming more of an accurate passer in that way. But it's also kind of chopped chopped him under from the knees to where he's not 
pushing as much as as maybe he used to. So what exactly do you want him to be and what is he? Go on. I, but I, I don't think, want to interject. But I think probably my big question is what is this guy's ceiling? Yeah. Because I think there's a tendency for a lot of people to say, and I found this last week when I wrote about him uh, throwing the deep ball, not doing it very well. Um, and there were a lot of people that, you know, sort of assume he's going to become one of the best deep ball passers in football. And there's a lot of people that when he was drafted, and you see this language all the time with strong-armed quarterbacks, the upside, mm-hmm. the upside. I think we should probably like reevaluate our thinking on that. You know, the, the upside, for instance, Josh Allen has way more perceived upside than Gardner Minshew. Yeah. Should he? Should he? Because Gardner Minshew was super productive in college and is really accurate and right. has already been more productive in the NFL. Not saying that Gardner Minshew will be a better quarterback than Josh Allen, but because of draft position and because of arm strength, Josh Allen has upside. But if that arm strength doesn't translate into big passing plays, then what is it? If you turn him into Marcus Mariota, then where what is the upside? Is that the upside, Marcus Mariota? Is that what you want him to be? There's a clashing of identities between their quarterback and their head coach in some ways and how they want to win football games with defense, ball control. And there's also somewhat of a clash in styles with the offense sometimes not to say that he doesn't fit the offense or that he doesn't know it well or any of that because i think he does i think he's taken ownership of it and i also think he and brian dable work really well together Mm -hmm. but think about new england and how much they rely on the quick game and getting the ball out of tom brady's hands really fast He's never the times that he's been a really good deep passer is when he's had Randy Moss and any you know of course you're going to try to throw the ball deep when you have Randy Moss but you've got this big arm quarterback who's kind of a freelancer playing in this system that's not really that it's mm-hmm. matchup based it's finding your matchup before the snap getting the ball out of your hand quickly and that can work that can win games they're six and two but I guess my question is. Where's the ceiling? What, like you said, what is he? What is he going to be? Right. Is this what you want him to be? And if you take that, we talk all the time about how you find the balance of coaching out the mistakes versus keeping some of that instinct in him. And right now he's, he's been really for the, like, sure, it's a lot of people view it as a positive that he hasn't thrown an interception in however many games. But the, a lot of those same people, I'm sure, were burying Tyrod Taylor for the same thing, right. for not throwing interceptions. Absolutely fair. They almost wanted him to throw interceptions because they wanted him to take more chances with mm-hmm. the football. I will say Allen still does take more chances than Tyrod ever did. But he's putting up a lot of similar numbers. I agree. You know what I yeah, mean? He, I he's agree. putting up. He's almost starting to play the game in a, a similar way in some ways. Tyrod Taylor is much I'll say much better, much better deep thrower um, when he wanted to. He didn't take that many chances, but he was Percy Harvin and Sammy Watkins. When he had those guys, he could hit the deep ball. Um, And so I don't know. I I guess my main thing is that they have to figure out at some point by the before the end of the season or at some point next year, like where is this guy's upside and how does it fit into the identity that, they want to build on the team. I also think that they need to figure out what is more important to them this year. Is it winning games and getting to the playoffs or is it the development of Josh Allen? Because if he if he becomes or they they want him to become what his I'll use the buzzword upside potential would indicate, then that is one of as a uh, potential top five to 10 quarterback in the NFL. I don't think that's going too overboard. You pick a guy at number seven, yeah. you better hope he's a top right. 10 quarterback. Exactly. That should be the, the hope. But 
where is the line for 2019? Because they're six and two, and they're in a spot where where they're in a great position to make the playoffs as long as they hold serve and they don't screw up the games that they shouldn't screw up. But in in part of that philosophy, not screwing up the games that you shouldn't screw up, you're also shielding yourself from trying to unleash that very potential of the starting quarterback. So I guess what's more important, the short-term gains of a potential playoff berth or letting Josh Allen figure it out a bit more? And it's not as though they're not doing it at all right now with him. Like I said, he's he's made strides in a lot of areas. But the one area that he hasn't is in the fact that he's effectively a game manager right now. And the this is going to sound bad, but the way he has played and the way that they have called the games with him over the last four weeks have reminded me of Ryan Tannehill. Is that unfair? Like no, that, that's, that, that's the brand of football they're they're doing. And the thing with Tannehill was he was so frustrating for so many years in Miami because he would give you those moments where it's like, hot damn, that was a throw. Where did that come from, Ryan Tannehill? But the rest of the time, he turned into this just really risk-averse sort of guy that that possessed the strong arm that could run the football when they needed him to. But even still, he never realized that potential because he he got into a groove of what worked for that point in time. And I just worry that the longer if they if they don't let him go through and and make like specific mistakes and try to push the ball down the field, if maybe they're almost cutting themselves out of, out from the knees right there in limiting what his potential could be. I think winning in the short term will always be more important. Yeah, yeah, that's probably from right. From this point forward. I mean, they're in year three and, you know, wins buy you job security. Wins validate what you're doing. And it can, it can screw you up, though, in a lot of ways, right? Because, mm-hmm. you know... We were talking before we hit record. They have 158 points through eight games, which is the third fewest of a six and two or better team since 2005. And in 2008, they were 0 and 8 and had 150 points. So they're not winning because they're putting up a ton of points. You know, they're not winning with offense. And it's fair to wonder when they will, if ever. You know, and I think. The fact that you get wins can sometimes validate poor process in some ways, right? And, you know, it's funny because Sean McDermott talks about process over results and things like that, you know, focusing on the process. <laughs> it's very funny. You know, focusing on the process yeah. instead of getting too tied up in the results. But I think what we're seeing in some ways is that. I mean, we've heard it, and there's probably people listening to this screaming at their car speakers or whatever, saying they're six and two. Yeah, clearly what they're doing is working, which is only half true, right? Because they're doing, they're winning the games that they should be winning. Right, they're beating. They've beat six teams who have a combined nine wins. They've beat Sam Darnold a couple days before he got mono. Andy Dalton, Marcus Mariota, and Eli Manning, who have all since been benched. Mm-hmm. They beat Dwayne Haskins making his first start. Mm-hmm. And they beat, um, what's his name? Ryan Fitzpatrick. Who's Ryan Fitzpatrick? So, you know, confusing six and two. Not all six and two starts are created equal, I guess is my point. And um, it definitely makes you wonder about Look, they get into the playoffs this year. I think they even have a chance to win a playoff game. As do I. Because things get weird. Um, Do I think this team could go to the Super Bowl? No. Uh, I don't think they're good enough on offense to keep up with good teams. But if they match up with the right team and this defense has a day, they could win a playoff game. Uh, I'm not against believing that. Mm -hmm. But 
that's going to set the stage for massive expectations in 2020. Yeah. When the schedule conceivably will get tougher because it's hard to imagine it being any weaker than it is this year. And then you have to really answer the question you're talking about. What do you want to be? What do you want Josh Allen to be? How do you want to win football games mm-hmm. long term? You know, and trying to keep this defense together and, you know, some aging pieces and whatever else they have on that side of the ball, expiring contracts after 2020. You pick a guy in the top 10 and you trade all those picks and almost, you know, you push away a lot of assets, young players that were good on this team to get that guy. You don't get him so that he can be Marcus Mariota or Ryan Tannehill. Mm-hmm. You know, you could have had Ryan Tannehill in free agency. Like, you know, the the guy, he is what he is. And I know some people don't like the comparison game, but I actually kind of do because it can help you contextualize, okay, si- just situations and players. And I think Ryan Tannehill is a decent one um, because the tools were there. Uh, and, you know, very, get, very similar skill sets. And I guess what you don't want is you don't want to be that team that hangs on to a guy too long. Mm-hmm. You'd rather know or not know. And I think right now the Bills are stuck firmly in the middle. Well, I, I don't I don't necessarily want to dismiss the notion that he can make a big jump between year two and year three because we see it a lot with with players at a bunch of other positions and quarterback included. You see it's a vital year for development of players in the NFL. And so I'm not going to sit here and dismiss the fact that maybe Allen could do that and become more of what he is, because I think it was Brady's original year. And this is just the extreme example. Brady's original year where he first started to play was in his second season in the NFL. And he, I mean, he was more of game manager style guy than anything. And then the third year he started to pop a little bit. So I don't want to dismiss it at all. I just, I'm just trying to figure out what exactly the Bills want to be and whether or not they're actually doing the best for what could make his potential limitless. Because if ultimately their goal is to get to a Super Bowl and win the Super Bowl and compete for championships on several years, like pie in the sky, this whole thing works, Josh Allen becomes a perennial guy that uh, pushes them into the second uh, the second round even the um, the conference championship game and sometimes even the Super Bowl that that is the pie in the sky idea for them because he becomes that guy but and and they've always maintained that we want more than the playoffs even in 2017 we want more than just a random playoff playoff appearance we want we want to consistently compete for championships but they're they're now on the precipice of where they have to be very careful with what they do with their quarterback because if they continue to enforce just, hey, don't make mistakes, don't make mistakes, don't make mistakes. That's what Miami did with Ryan Tannehill. Isn't that what the Bills did with EJ? Well, EJ never wanted to take those chances. He was kind of, I guess... Yeah, that, maybe I, they did that at Florida State. EJ, that was in him. Josh Allen is already. I mean, I know the stats are similar, but in terms of mindset ability, it's not even close in my mind. However, the Bills need to figure out what the best tact is here, and like I said before, whether or not what they're doing right now in 2019, because they're six and two. And it's very easy to take the low-hanging fruit and be like, we're 6-2. and two. Let's just keep this doing This is the formula. This is the formula. Let's well, keep it going on. Makes you, it, it, what it makes me think of is punting in that snow game. Mm. And obviously, these more so driving home the point of don't let the end result validate your process, evaluate your process independent of the result. Or as... Uh, Doug Marone used to say, don't confuse uh, effort effort with with results. results. But the punting in the snow game was the wrong call. And they got bailed out. 
cost them their season. Joe it Webb, almost y'all. cost them that playoff yep. uh, berth because tying would have eliminated them in, in the sense. But they won. So it was like, oh, yeah, you know, we won. Mm-hmm. Can, you know, be the same type of thing where you don't want to coach too much of that stuff out of Josh Allen. You don't right. want to bring down his upside because you're coaching it out of him. But there's also an element of what you're talking about where there's potential for a jump there. And maybe there's on the fly, tear him down to build him back up Mm -hmm. at some point. Yeah. And to be able to do that and for him to be able to have sort of this roller coaster of development that he's had where there's been like three different versions of Josh Allen that (laughs) that we've seen the last two years. So right. And probably two different versions that we've seen this year alone. To have that, but also a six and two record, that's you know not bad. Mm-hmm. To win while you're developing him and other young players is definitely a positive. But the biggest thing is to not confuse that with saying this is how we'll always be able to mm-hmm. win because you won't always play six teams with a combined nine wins in your first eight games. You know, you won't always have one of the worst schedules any of us have ever seen. In fact, most years you won't. Um, So that's the balancing act is not to say, okay, this is this is it. This is how we want you to play, Josh. And let him be a little bit more of himself. And finding that balance is the hardest thing in football, I think. Yeah. Uh, for a lot of people. And, and I mean, you're seeing the complete reverse, I feel like, in Cleveland with Baker Mayfield, where they're being overly aggressive at times mm-hmm. um, in terms of how they call the offense and it's setting him up to make a lot of mistakes. And who it's, clearly it's not working. They're two and six. They suck. But, you know, it's like um, still who would you, you know, we're, we'll probably end up having this conversation at some point this week, but who mm-hmm. would you rather have long term? Be an interesting question to answer. Yes, and it's it a weird, the 2018 class, the narrative of the 2018 class, we're now halfway through their second seasons, which is early, but not that early. You know, we found out about the 2017 class by then, uh, halfway through their second seasons. So this class isn't looking special. No. The way it once did. And I'm really interested to see the second half of the season play out because I think two full years gives you a really good sample size and a really good idea of where these guys are going. There's been some bad situations that some of these guys have been thrown into, and Josh is not um, any different there. He had a rough go last year, but I don't know. We're, we're going to get some answers because he's going to see three of those guys. Well, four. Let's count Mason Rudolph. <laughs> sure. Five if Ryan Fitzpatrick gets hurt before uh, – the Miami That'd be game. something, huh? And Josh Rosen. A little, has to little go gauntlet of 20. At least he's not Josh Rosen. Yeah. But yeah, that's what it would be. I and mean, maybe he'll get to go up against Drew Locke, too. Wow. That'd be something. Um, so yeah, this is a this is a very intriguing time for um for the Bills and figuring out what they ultimately want to be past even 2019. Let's give out some awards, uh, shall we? The um the first of which goes or with is the Matt Barkley Award? I need to get the uh, the stats up here right now in order to uh, get it going. So the Matt Barkley Award goes to the most pleasant surprise of the day. How about Devin Singletary? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, not that he's a no name, but I'm not sure anybody, even those clamoring for big touches, would have thought uh, he would get 24 touches for 140 yards and a touchdown. Mm-hmm. So. Kudos to him. I'd say game ball. Oh, yeah. He was he was the best player on the field today. And he will continue to be their most explosive offensive player anytime he's on the field. Whether or not they continue to utilize him at the same clip, which was nearly 60% of the time he was on the field, uh, remains to be seen. And I'm skeptical that that is to continue. But this is a great game for him regardless. Uh, next up is the... Dree Archer Award for the player that didn't show up today. And that for that, I will go with Frank Gore. 11 carries, 15 yards, 
had six and one opportunities. The only one he converted was um, on a second and one on their first drive of the game. So it wasn't even like the stakes were high. Was then stonewalled three straight times at the goal line. And part of this was the Bills' fault for putting a, a heavy personnel against a Washington defensive front that's as good as they, they are or they have as much talent as they do. Um, that's their strength in in as a defense, and they've been playing really well in that capacity the last few weeks. But Stonewall three straight times. Then on the Bills' very encouraging drive to start the second half, where they were down to Washington's 24-yard line. It was a fourth and one. Loved the decision to go for it. But they went into that heavy personnel thing again. And Frank Gore wound up getting uh, just stopped at the line of scrimmage. Didn't get the first down. The Bills turned the ball over on downs. And if they maybe spread out Washington a little bit more, perhaps they uh, they get they get into the end zone and this game is over far earlier than it, than, um, than it was. But they weren't. Frank Gord couldn't do that. Then later on, on a third and one opportunity, uh, he was taken down for minus three yards. Like that, it was just wasn't Frank Gore's best. And part of it was the matchup. Part of it was the way the personnel groupings Brian Dable was was going with. But it, he he should probably convert on one of those goal line opportunities. Is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> I think Robert Foster could have been a candidate here as well. But yeah, he, he didn't get he's many a snaps perpetual, again. He's a perpetual candidate. Yeah, Robert Foster, by my count, wound up with seven snaps, eleven point one percent of snaps today. Really didn't do. Much of anything was targeted once, didn't catch it. He so. tried hard for it because yeah. it was underthrown. Don't confuse effort with results, Joe. Uh, okay. That's going to be a staple here right now, isn't it? Vontae Davis, who do you got? I'm going to go with Josh Allen. Yeah. Uh, he was in the first half. Let me pull up his first half numbers. Seven for 10 for 100 yards. So he had 60 passing yards in the second half. Both of his touchdowns came in the first half. They didn't really ask him to do much in the second half, but that's sort of the the point mm-hmm. um, is that uh, there wasn't a whole lot of uh, passing offense uh, in the second half. He had, what, 12 attempts. He was still reasonably efficient, and he did. No, he went 4 of 10. In, or No, I'm sorry. You're right. Right. He, he was reasonably efficient. He was, what, yeah. 8 for 12 in the second half? Uh, Is that right? His first half stats were 7 of 10 for 100. His sec- his full game were was uh, 14 of 20, so he would have went 7 for 10 for 60. He did make that nifty play yes. where he ran, looked like he was going to run, and then he threw it. That's so the he, flashes we're I guess he wasn't about. a complete uh, right. Vontae Davis here. He didn't exactly leave the stadium. Yes. Um, but I'm also struggling to come up with a – a better um <laughs> i mean you could go cole beasley right he scored a touchdown though in the first half yeah i guess second half he didn't do I, diddly poo i guess that's right two catches 13 yards he's becoming the uh the red zone weapon yeah and not much else the that? last few weeks so that's something mm-hmm. okay uh so that leads us to come on darlene territory um I don't really have one yet, so if you have one, go ahead and lead right the hell off. Hmm. <laughs> I have a couple. Oh, boy. Well, I, I'm going to give a... Well, see, I, I keep thinking about the bracket. and. Oh, boy. Uh, all right, I'm going to start with Corey Bohorquez. 15-yard <sighs> punt. Oh, I forgot about it. I mean, Incredible. I thought that 21-yard punt by... Washington's slappy punter Tressway would be the worst punt I've seen Power on name. an NFL field. Tressway, but Corey Bajorquez's 15-yard punt I feel like will oh. be remembered for a long time. There's probably a lot of people that would vote on a Brian Dable come on Darlene for continuing for the goal line. Yeah, uh, the heavy personnel, stuff. but a 15-yard punt that's I bet you there's been high school punters who have punted it farther on this field. Oh, there absolutely have. So, Corey I'm, Bajorquez. Has he been on the bracket before already? Yeah, it w- not this year. Last year it was for the uh, the fake uh, field goal that yeah. wasn't. 
That made it far, I think, didn't it? Did, did it? Like a little run. I don't. I don't remember the bracket. I really don't. What won last year? Got to look at the tape, didn't it? Was it? That's what won. I don't remember. Oh no, it was Vontae Davis. Oh yeah, Vontae Davis yeah. freaking won the award. <laughs> yeah, of course. He's he's got an award named after him. My word. Uh, God, I totally forgot about Corey Bohorkas. That's such a good one. Uh, I guess I don't even freaking know. Well, I can give you Corey Bohorquez and give you a bonus one. <laughs> All right, I will take Corey Bohorquez. I'm gonna. How long have we been recording? This is this has been a while. I'm gonna give "Come On, Darlene" to myself <laughs> because <laughs> is this the first time I've been on the bracket this year? It might be the second. Fifty-five minutes of recording. I'm gonna give it to both of us actually. Fifty-five Uh-oh. minutes of recording, and we haven't even addressed the biggest news of the weekend. What? That. Joe B is now an engaged man. <laughs> so come on, Darlene, to me for not oh. giving a proper podcast. Congratulations. No, it's And okay. come on to Joe B for not sharing more with the people. Oh, uh, what, what do you want to know? You, you want to you want to inter- interview me about it? Or? I, I, I don't know what the book. what do you think the people need to know? Uh, well, it uh, happened at Chestnut Ridge in uh, good old Hamburg, New York. Borderline Boston, um, and uh, yeah, my uh, my wonderful. Uh, this is the first time I'm calling her that. Fiance Sarah, uh, she uh, was. I was fortunate enough that that, that she said yes. Um, yeah, this is weird. I I uh, didn't really expect to talk had, about this. Had engagement. to put you on the spot. Yeah. I recall being put on the spot when I got engaged. Oh, that's so true. I did do that. Fair is fair. Yeah, um, Fritz was not involved. So come on, Darlene, to me for not involving that, Fritz. That that should have been my come on, Darlene. Yeah, he's a good boy, but he was he was hype at the uh, at the after party. He at, was. At, that's Can sure. confirm. <laughs> it was good times. It was great day. One that I'm sure we will all remember. Uh, well, perhaps not all the listeners, but well, all of us. Uh, I, I, tweeted, I tweeted out the pic. Um, We're good. But um, thank you. Congratulations. Thank you, my friend. Sorry for putting you on the spot, but nah, I whatever. probably would have gotten a come on, Darlene, from the people if I hadn't. So had to do it. Tis their right. Tis had their to right. do it. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but enough with the sappiness. Let's get back to figuring out if Josh Allen is good or not. Exactly. The, the important things. <laughs> the important things in life. Really, the come on, Darlene, should be to you for not even having a come on, Darlene. But we're going to let you slide. <laughs> Maybe it's been a busy week. Hey, it's been a busy week. Your brain was occupied by other things. Dude, seriously. Like uh, I was doing, I was trying to make it somewhat of a surprise all day yesterday. And like you, you were in the, in the car when we were going downtown to, to the restaurant. I didn't say a word because my brain was just mush. <laughs> Yeah, it's a weird feeling. It it's is. A, um, it's totally quite an adrenaline is. rush, and the trying to keep a secret is. Uh, Holy crap! I tend to be pretty good at that personally because I'm just I don't well I'm it, a quiet person. It wasn't I, even that. It was like the mental warfare of like because she knows she can read right through me because we've we've been together over four years. A and, bit more of a prior too. Her? Than, yeah. Than, oh my uh, god. Than my wife. So my um, word. She's uh, she's inquisitive yeah she is and skeptical by nature yes. and which is not a good combination for me trying to get her to a spot for me to propose to her but you know she knew nevertheless <laughs> she knew the entire day basically um but it was still mentally draining because like i gotta keep it up i can't i can't admit to it especially you're, once you you're have pot committed at that point the ring yeah that is a very stressful feeling having the ring in your place of living i only had it for like 48 hours, I think. Really? Was that was like, a week and a half. All right, I picked it up. Yeah. Now it's time. The clock is ticking before it gets discovered. See, I'm 6'5", so I put it in a really high place in my closet. <laughs> there, that works. There was no shot. Absolutely no shot. But yeah, it, 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 my mind was mush that day. All right. So thank you for uh, allowing me to not have a come on, Darlene. I will gladly take the Corey Bajorquez 15-yard punt which may or may not result in him getting released from the roster. That should be a sweet 16. That was that bad of a play. It was awful. Did he? Did they also get a come on, Darlene, for the blocked punt? I don't remember. Probably. I, I, this is... I can't remember what 
press box tomfoolery took place every that week if somebody right. didn't flush or any other random thing that happened but i wasted so much time that i didn't have to last year going back and listening to all our episodes to figure <laughs> we out we should what have been <laughs> keeping track i i say it every every week oh i'm gonna keep track nope didn't do it this week if and somebody I'm... keeps track and sends us a bracket we'll send them a jersey how about that Ooh, that's outstanding take some work out of our hands and we've still got jerseys to yeah give we away, do so yeah we do all so, right that's your challenge, listeners. All right. We're rambling and we're putting off writing. So we're going to go. We're going to go do that. Um, thank you, everyone, for listening to this episode of the Buffalo Beat. Thanks to everyone who who said um, some nice words over the weekend. I really appreciate it. Uh, just from a personal perspective. Uh, all right. So the Bills are six and two. They have the Cleveland Browns coming up next. And we'll figure out, uh, I guess, again, who this team is like we tried to every, every week. Next time we will speak with you is on Thursday for the subscriber-only pod, then the um, matchup preview on Friday leading up to the Bills game in Cleveland. All right, everyone, for Matthew Fairburn, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thanks for listening to the Buffalo Beat, and we will talk to you later next week. See you then.